Welcome to Comfortable Place on the Couch, a short-run podcast exploring every Midnight Oil album in the run-up to their 2017 Great Circle Tour. My name is Darren Folds, and in the coming months, I'll be spinning every Midnight Oil studio album from my comfortable couch, as well as taking a listen to some of their EPs, live recordings, and video releases. Joining me each episode is my longtime friend and fellow Midnight Oil enthusiast, Robin Harbin. How are you doing this evening, Mr. Harbrin? Doing okay. Feeling a little lonely here today. Lonely? Why so lonely? Well, I'm on my own couch. We're not sharing a couch this week. That's true. It's not the love seat. It isn't. So it's like I'm looking at you and you're over there yep. on your own couch. So it's a comfortable place on... Two couches. Two couches. Kate, we'll have to change the name of the podcast then. Okay. All right. Robin, we have just been listening to Midnight Oil's third release, 1980s, four-track extended play. Not, it's not a four-track. Four-song. Four-song. Extended play, Bird Noises. Yes. Any thoughts as to what we're going to be talking about tonight? Well, since it's, we've never done an EP before, maybe we'll take a little extra time on each song Sounds today. like a good idea. Uh, we're going to be talking about the new bass player that arrives. That's right. Peter Gifford, Giffo. And we'll talk about how important this EP really is. Oh, so if you think it's just something you can throw away. Yes. Robin says you can't. You can't. It has a number of firsts on it. Well, let's get into it right now. So before we begin talking about bird noises, maybe we can briefly touch upon what's been happening since last year's head injuries. So 1979, they're touring, they release head injuries, Yep. go on tour for the first time they go to New Zealand. And Andrew Bear James is still with them. And Andrew Bear James is still with them. Uh, he's not doing so well, uh, feeling sick. Yep. And uh, they end up at a hotel where... Bones Hillman happens to be. Bones was there. He says, it's the first time he ever heard a real Australian. I heard this voice. This is a quote. Uh, this is Bones. I heard this voice. It was the first time I'd heard a real Australian accent. This place smells like a dead rat. So that's what Rob said about yep. the hotel or something. And uh, then Bones did go to the Midnight Oil show. Yep. The only thing he had to say was it was the loudest thing he had ever heard. Wow. Those guys are real Loud. loud. After the New Zealand tour, that was it for uh, Bear. Yep. How did Peter Gifford end up joining the band? Like, was he like an obvious choice? Did they audition folks? Giffo uh, heard of the vacancy while he was crossing the Harbour Bridge, listening to Double J. That's the radio yep. station that That's played the, him. The public radio station. Yeah. While he was on his way uh, to night of roadie work, a few hours later, he was auditioning with one of the biggest live bands in the country in a small rehearsal room at Rhinoceros Studios. Cool. When I went to do the audition, this is uh, Giffo speaking. When I went into the do the audition, there was just Rob and Jim and Martin. Rob was very friendly, as he always is. He made me mm-hmm. feel at ease. Um, so they, they tried to find something to play. Right. Uh, Giffo didn't know any of their songs. They asked if he knew Run By Night. He said he heard it yeah. once on the radio. Uh, so they showed him and they played it along. Oh, yeah, I remember that song. There's all those kick drum mistakes in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then uh, Pete showed up and asked if he could sing. He says, yeah, a bit. So he sang along with Run By Night, did some vocal. Um, then it was a matter of 
They asked him if he could get a copy of Head Injuries, so he mm-hmm. went and bought it, even though he was broke, and uh, thought Head Injuries was great, played it along, and uh, basically they said, we'll give you a three-month trial if oh yeah if we like you, you can stay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. So they went forward and, and got into it. Felt like Giffo added a lot of grunt and a bedrock <laughs> bottom end to the sound. Yeah. Rob seems to speak very favorably of Giffo and that they became a real rhythm section. Yeah. Unlike earlier oils, it wasn't so much that. Giffo really added a lot to the look of the band. That really tough rip sleeve just got out from under the car look. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> That's a quote from your book. <laughs> yeah, I'm, quote, I'm quoting from a book, but it's, it's true. Whenever you see Giffo playing, it really does look like he was just... Yeah. He was working on his car. Yeah. Got the grease on him and stuff. He gets out. He's playing in a rock and roll band. And when he plays, he always looks like, to me, he always looks like he's holding a gun or something. Like he holds his, his bass. He's got this kind of this stance. And when he sings, he's just so intense looking yeah. too, eh? Just yeah. like he's, he is giving it. He's, he fits in with the oils. Yeah. Give it all they got. Yeah, he fits in. Welcome to the band, Peter Gifford. So, as we tend to do, we like to divide our discussion of the record in question into two sections. First, we take an overview of the entire album and talk about the sound, the lyrical content, musical themes, and how the album flows. And then after that, we take a closer look at some of the songs on the album, talk about our favorites, and take them apart a bit. And by way of reminder, here's what Bird Noises sounds like. Before we talk about what we think of the album and how much we enjoyed it, 
let's take a look at uh, the recording process. All right. So apparently this was recorded in just two days. And when they went into the studio, they didn't even know that this was going to be an actual album. I don't think, apparently that wasn't the plan. So they're just like going to go into the studio for a couple of days, record some demos maybe? That's what it sounded like. Record some demos for the next full album. Okay. Uh, so they record these four songs and then I guess decided, hey, we should just really release something now. This stuff is good. Yeah. But I think that idea that it was just a demo does affect, they, they did a lot less production on this mm. album. It doesn't sound like head injuries. In Mm-mm. some ways, it almost sounds like it's gone back yep. to the Blue Meanie yep. in terms of production. I agree with you on that. Overall, they're definitely getting away from the prog rock, uh, but there's still hints of it. Oh, for sure. Here. Yeah. Yep. So it feels like the drums are a bit more forceful mm-hmm. in this album. I don't know if you found that, but I'm wondering if that's Giffo's contribution. Yeah, uh, just kind driving. of just kind of playing, playing along with, playing into the rhythm section. Yeah, pushing, yeah. pushing the drums more. Sure. But the overall quality of the sound feels like a little bit of a step back as well from head injuries. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. Yeah, but again, probably just recorded quick and yep. not a lot of uh, post-production put on it, mixed down, and there it is. Yeah, and, and less care that you would put in because, hey, we're just we're just doing these for ourselves, yeah. just so that we remember these songs or to get an idea to kind of workshop the songs. As far as variety in the album goes, I think that uh, head injuries showed more variety between songs um, than... Bird Noises does as well, with the exception of Wedding Cake Island, which is like this, it's super cool, uh, surf rock thing. You've basically got rock song, rock song, something cool and different, rock song. Yeah. I like the songs plenty. Oh, yeah. But there's plenty to like in all of the songs. Yeah. When when I listen carefully to each one, uh, there's there's stuff I like about all of them. Uh, But still, it... Overall. Overall, it, it can kind of pass me by if I'm not paying close attention to it. Uh, the album will just not grab my attention all that much. So should we just jump right into the songs then? Do you want to take it uh, track by track? Sounds like a plan. All right. The first song that we've got up is No Time for Games. Les Rach. Les Rach. <laughs> and we both wrote that down <laughs> in our notes. Yes. Pete's very over the top Les Rach. But of course that's become legendary. It's got a fun intro, this song. One of the first times that I was I was listening to this in my... Uh, reintroduction of myself to the album last week. I was going for one of my walks, as I do, to yes. listen to the album. And I was thinking, oh, this is really neat. I was concentrating very closely to the drums. I was saying, you know how some folks are saying, oh, they're losing their prog stuff here. Well, yeah. they've still got their crazy time signatures, what's yeah. going on. So so the song starts with this uh, group of seven. Yes, uh, we call beat. it 7-4, seven, probably. 7-4, seven, or yeah. yeah, like a 4-4 four, four bar and a 3-4 bar and a 4-4 four, four bar and a 3-4 bar. Yeah. yeah, just kind of, and the, the effect is to just kind of put you off your balance every every bar through. Yeah. Let's rock! Yeah, Rob was saying he loved uh, playing this one live because when that, every, when the crowd's jumping up and down on it, trying to keep time with the music, it yeah. throws throws half of everybody off every time. <laughs> yeah, that they're starting the next bar early every time, every second bar. Yeah, he says it makes them jump on each other <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, the the guitar riff at the beginning, middle, and end, I think, are all built on that same seven four. Mm-hmm. On the set lists, this always song always gets called "Some Kids." 
instead oh, yeah. of no time for games. Yeah. They just write some kids and Rob thinks it just should be named that uh, all along, but that's what it gets called on the set list. Some kids. Now, lyrically, what do you think this one's about? It's it, in a way it seems obvious that it's just, yeah. You know, you listen to it and the first thing that jumps into my head is children affected by war, whether it be, you know, child soldiers or kids in the late seventies, early eighties, um, just the fear of nuclear war that kind of was hanging in the air. I was thinking of perhaps communist countries where children are are groomed for military service. Kids, war, that's what this is about, easy. Yeah, um, the, the shadow of yeah. nuclear war, uh, how maybe that was affecting it, but also maybe just uh, uh, a comment on how uh, society was changing um, like the rearing of young used to be easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, now worrying about school, worrying about, yeah. um, getting that good education so you can get that good yeah. job and it all starts so early. That's right. So, uh, but then when I was learning about, uh, the fire, Pete's father had died, uh, a couple of years earlier. And then his mother died in this horrible house fire where Pete tried to rescue them, okay. uh, rescue her. She could, he could hear her screaming in the house oh, and he man. tried to get in and he was getting burned and, uh, horrible. Yeah. Uh, and, but he thought his brothers were in the house too, but it turns out they weren't there. Mm-hmm. Suddenly he became, he was the oldest brother yep. and suddenly he was, he had these two little brothers. Yeah. Um, no time for games, Peter. No time for games, Peter. Yeah. And no, no time. And, and also for his own brothers. So maybe there's, yeah. maybe there's a personal aspect oh, sure. to this as well. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this song really has a, the great dual guitar attack uh, coming in where the, the two guitars are mm. playing off of each other and uh, doing these interleaving parts. Midnight Oil, there isn't a lead guitarist and a rhythm guitarist, the right. way a lot of bands with two guitarists settle things. Yes. Like the alpha guitarist. Yeah. And the <laughs> yeah. uh, but in Midnight Oil, it changes around from song to song, even within a song. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Everyone gets their chance to do their thing. Everybody gets parts, yeah. yeah. My, my favorite bass fill on the album is right here. We were talking last episode about how sometimes they bring in musical elements that tie in with thematical elements of the song. And so as I'm thinking, okay, this is a song about war or violence and stuff like that, there's a lot of staccato snare drum going on that makes me think of machine gun fire or something like that. Yeah. So I find that interesting that, in the song. So like kind of the military style beats or not so much? more um, just No, not like drum rolls sounding or drill, like but like just guns. rat-a-tat-a-tat-a-tat-a-tat. Right As far as vocals go in this album, even more so than what they were starting to do in head injuries, I think we're hearing more harmonies and more BGVs going on. Yeah. Some kids. Some kids. That's right. So that one's not even like a background vocal. It's like the other band members are doing kind of almost a call and response thing. Yeah, I think I think you do call that call and response, where yeah. one group shouts out one part of the song. And then the lead singer, Pete, comes in and, and has his line, and then the band comes back and shouts out, Some, Some kids. Some kids got no time for playtime. Some kids got no time for games. Some kids got no time for playtime. 
And you think that's the whole band doing that? You think that's because we were talking also um, in previous episodes how when Peter Gifford joins the band, he brings his vocal talents. Do you think that's the whole band? Do you think that's just Gifford? And I do think I recall watching a, a live performance where Rob and Peter Gifford were both singing. Yeah, and I can almost hear Jim in there, and Jim certainly does do some of those kind of uh, harmonies. So. Yep. So I, I could imagine it being all three of them. When I hear the song, I hear Peter Garrett singing a line that is not here and that I tried to find if it's on some, if it's on one of the live albums I have and I couldn't find it. Some kids got no time for radioactive playgrounds. That does sounds that, like something he would say. Does that ring a bell to you at all? Live. If anybody out there knows what I'm talking about and you know where I might have heard it, let me know. One other thing that I enjoy about this song is the cut time. So when they go into the Some Kids part of the song. Kind of gives a, a neat laid back. It feels like you're changing the tempo of the song without changing it. And it brings a neat emphasis to, to things that are going on. So I enjoy that part of yeah, the song too. It's, it's a good bit. that intro hey that's a great intro it's some messing around on the drums noodling around on the drums for a little bit yeah do you think that was a planned intro or it's just i think yeah rob was just noodling around but i think it was something that they intended to have at the beginning of the song i don't know i don't know if that's the case but i kind of get the feeling yeah let's let's throw a little bit of a drum fun before we start the song yeah in fact this is the song that i enjoy most for drums it's got some neat stuff happening as the solos are starting you've you've got this kind of swelling, rolling sound happening to the drums where the volume kind of builds up and then it kind of falls back down again, up and down. It's got this neat rolling sound to it that I enjoy. Rob really gets his money's worth out of his ride cymbal in this song. You can play three different parts of your cymbals at least and get three different sounds out of it. Right. You got the bell. You got the bell, which makes that bell sound like that. It's at the very top. Yep. It goes ding, 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 ding. You've got the edge, which gives kind of your big washy, splashy kind of sounds. Yeah. And then you've got the bow of the cymbal. Which oh, the is, bow. Is yeah. that what it's called? Yeah. Oh. And, and so that's just the main part of it. Yeah. And that will give you more of an attack sound, like a crisper sound. It won't wash as long. It won't sustain as long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you get Rob doing all of these things in this song. Another drum fact <laughs> for you. Um, Rob has these things called um, ice bells. Mm-hmm. So what drummers would do um, is they would dedicate an actual symbol to the to that bell kind of sound. So you don't have to be as precise. Oh, got to got to look over there, and make sure I'm hitting the right part of the of the symbol. Yeah. They would actually take old symbols and cut them down, so you just have the bell and just mount that somewhere. Sometimes they would actually mount them upside down. Rob likes to bring eclectic elements into his kit, and so he's got these ice bells. Some some simple manufacturers actually just make these type things, and so it may be that he's got like a just a little bell. As far as um, favorite drum songs go, I enjoy Knife's Edge. Yeah, Knife's Edge. Yeah, most for, for drums. There's lots of really good drum stuff going on here. Yeah, and actually, I think it's my favorite 
favorite bass song overall. Oh, Actually, yeah. I think it's my favorite song on the album. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think I've decided that if I have to choose one, this is it. I really like the solo. We were talking about how it builds up. Yes. And I like how it gets the extra. You got the drums get a turn and the bass is sort of doing it. And then the two guitars are kind yes. of well up. Everybody's going. Yeah. And then Pete starts kind of doing this kind of wailing, screamy, not quite full scream. Nope. But kind of this wail. Yep. And then they need that extra push over the cliff. They're at 11 on their guitars. Yep. They're at 11 on the, on the amp. You need that extra push over the cliff. So they pull out the big old piano. Yeah. And somebody starts hauling on, on that. And That's just right. And banging out some chords on the piano. Just a regular old piano, too. Like yeah, it a, doesn't sound like a keyboard or no anything. It sounds like a sounds, real, no... real legit piano. Yeah. And uh, so that... I guess that was lying around the studio, and yeah. you wouldn't really expect that on a pretty heavy rockin' song. Like yeah. they've said, well, I mean, certainly piano does get used in rock and roll, but it's not what you expect on a Midnight Oil album. No, and actually, that that looks ahead to like Earth and Sun and Moon. Lots of sure. lots of nice real piano on that album. Yep. Now lyrically, mm-hmm. if you listen long enough, they got nothing to say. You know what? Knife's Edge was the was the song on the album that I had the hardest time understanding what it was about. And that line, if you listen long enough, they got nothing to say, reminds me of when I open my mouth and idiot speaks. Yeah, for uh, sure. Yep. And what, what, empty words. Yeah, and and yeah, even words. And word crimes, bitter lies, bitter crimes, government lies. Government lies, yeah. Yeah, so that could totally be playing into the, to the whole thing there. Yeah. Yep. Again, I think the songs on this album, as we were talking or the songs on this EP, as we were talking about the songs on head injuries, are are leaning a lot more to trying to evoke images and feelings through the lyrics rather than necessarily telling a story or describing something particular. Yeah. So as much as I'm an advocate for the fact that an author has an intent behind the words that he writes down, I don't think in every case you're meant to understand a specific incident but as an artist, as a poet, sometimes you're just trying to get those feelings across. And maybe that's all that's going on in this song. And so that's why it's difficult for me to kind of get my head around it. Mm-hmm. Another kind of foreshadow uh, towards Earth and Sun and Moon, the line, uh, God get off that merry-go-round. Mm-hmm. That's also in this. Yeah, hey, I like that line a lot, yeah, too. Yeah, and that totally reminds me of, there's a uh, the treadmill line in yeah, Truganini. Yeah, that's right. Um so again, to me, it's kind of like a, a foreshadow. There's a similar theme there. How about that weird bass effect about a minute or so into the song? And actually just listening to it now, that might actually be a piano. Yeah, you know what? It does sound kind of like the piano. Yeah. Yeah. Ka-chong. Hitting Ka-chong. some of those real bass notes on a... Just want to talk about double-tracked voices or uh, harmonies at the very end of the song. So you're thinking maybe not a double track. It's definitely a harmony. Is that Pete Garrett singing with Pete Garrett or is that somebody else? I would guess that it's Giffo or Rob. And and probably because they're just in there recording some demos. They're not going to spend some time recording a separate vocal line for Garrett. I, I would think so. Yeah. Sounds good though. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Wedding Cake Island. What is Wedding Cake Island? It's a island... Shaped like a wedding cake. (laughs) It's a lovely surf rock song. Wedding Cake Island is an island off Coogee Beach, Sydney. Perfect for a surfing song. So this is the first instrumental song that we hear from the Oils. It is, and I think it's the first time an acoustic guitar appears on a Midnight Oil song. Pretty prominent, holding the whole song together. Cool. Acoustic guitar becomes a much more prominent thing. Starting? Starting now. Starting with Wedding Cake Island. (laughs) And there's this really cool... Um, spacey sound that we get through the song and I was asking you at one point oh do you think that this is a theremin yeah but probably not probably just uh, Jim's mini moog yep we do know that Jim has a theremin. Yeah, this is what's interesting. I, when I was trying to find out, I've seen Jim play his theremin before with The Break, yep. which is the band that features... Rob Martin. Rob Jim? Martin and Jim. And The Break, they do the music that they always wish that they were playing. I like The Break. They're just doing instrumental music almost exclusively. Yep. As Bones Hillman said, I'd probably like it if they had a vocalist. <laughs> I kind of feel that same way too, but mind you, like I, I, I bought both of their albums. And I, I've listened to them a lot. I did listen to Space Farm yes. this week, and I really got a kick out of that. Yeah, that one's a good one, and that actually has vocals. Yep. They say Space, Space Farm. Farm quite a few times, and that is Brian Ritchie, uh, their bassist, doing that. Oh, and my point was that the break would play Wedding Cake Island live. Right. Does it fit in with what the break does. And you told me that you've seen a video of them playing it and Jim's theremin. Jim's theremin's right there in front of him, but Jim just plays guitar throughout Wedding Cake Island. Doesn't play any keys, which is a little, little weird. Yeah. But that's what he did. So neat. So this is, this is a, a song that is, is more in the tradition of, of, genuine surf rock type stuff ventures and stuff like that it's got the wonderful jangly guitars and the the slinky the slinky sounding you were telling me maybe a baritone guitar yeah i don't know if they actually used a baritone guitar in the recording but certainly surf music the baritone guitar Mm -hmm. is a big part of surf rock yeah baritone guitar is a guitar that is tuned lower than a regular electric guitar. And lots of, of big reverb yeah, lots coming of reverb through on this. Sounds wonderful. We get um, some harmonics on the guitar being used in solos again, like we heard in the Powderworks album. Yes. I mentioned earlier that I enjoyed the the long strums through the chords where you can deliberately hear each note being plucked, not being plucked, still being played as a chord, yeah. but delayed enough that you can hear all of the yeah, notes if you watch, ring true. Yeah, that's right. If you watch, this is Martin Rotzi's song uh, and he does most of the lead guitar work or I guess all of the mm-hmm. lead guitar work on this song. 
And uh, yeah, if you watch him play it live, he kind of scrapes his hand across yeah. the strings to, to do that. There's that slower chord. And we can talk about the missing vocals from the song because we hear at one point Peep very quietly singing something. I heard at one well, point... Well, we think it's Peep, but I think somebody was saying it might be Rob oh, yeah. who actually says that, but yeah. Lines of swell around the Byron Pass, mate. So that's what whoever Apparently is singing that's what's being is said. said. Yeah. I, I watched an interview, and maybe I will throw this in the show notes online if I can find it. I watched an interview of Pete being interviewed um, just by, on his own by some Australian dude in the 80s because the Australian dude had great 80s hair. And he was talking about this song and how he actually had recorded um, vocals for the entire song, but they were just too edgy to be yeah. included in the album. Full of profanity and very libelous. Slanderous and libelous. Slanderous, libelous. Yeah, it was, yep. a, it was, it was about somebody It was a rant about yep. a particular person. And I hear that Rob Hurst actually does have the lyrics somewhere around. He's just mm. not letting them out. Or maybe even the recording with, oh. with that, maybe. There you go. Yeah. And one other detail about Wayne Cake Island, this was sort of a surprise. Mainstream radio actually picked up Wedding Cake Island and start giving it fairly regular play. Now, they've had some singles from the past. They had Run By Night from the Blue Meanie. Yeah. From Head Injuries, they had a couple singles. Yeah. But they still apparently were not getting uh, much radio play. Until? And they were building their audiences just through their live shows, word of mouth live shows. And then... Wedding Cake Island Wedding Cake happens Island, to be... Wedding Island, a song that is out of the ordinary for the oils. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gets, and that's the one that gets picked play. up. Yeah. That's funny. I'm the cure. Yes. This is a Jim Magini song by himself. Mm, I didn't look at that. Well, at least that's what it, it's just credited to Jim. Wow. Yeah. Other songs are credited to um, Rob and Jim and Rob and Jim and Pete. Yes. But this is just a Jim song. And it's probably why I like it the best of all the songs on the album. <laughs> you've, you've got Habit, the last song on an album. I know. Written by Jim. It's, it's not, your favorite. It's not intentional, but it's what I'm drawn to. There's a pattern here. Yeah. I suspect it's just how I take in the recordings. I insert meaning into it and, and a progression through the album. Again, I find this is a song that kind of reacts to the previous songs. Okay. Now, Wedding Cake Island, you got to throw that out of the mix because that's just an anomaly yeah. as far as the album goes. So if this were a three-song rock and roll EP... Yeah, you've got the Children of War or Violence type song, a song that I had a, a little bit of a hard time getting my head around with Knife's Edge, but, you know, it's it's talking a little bit about, you know, guns pointed at, so okay, is there war violence going on, maybe political will going on there. To me, when I hear I'm the Cure... I hear it as a, there are just too many things for me to be worried about right now. And I just can't handle it anymore type song. So it's almost kind of answering or it's responding or it is a, it is a reaction to the previous two songs in the album. Yeah. The the previous two are describing the situation, the, the problems in the world. Yeah. And this is, I just can't handle it right now. So what do I do? Do drugs. Maybe. Yeah. 
Maybe that's what it's about. I've read online people pointing towards heroin use as well in this song. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I'm not even saying, again, we don't have to say that, therefore, they're saying it's good. Oh, no, for (laughs) sure. Yeah. I don't even see a necessity of this being drugs as an escape. I just see it as a general, there is an escape that this person is trying to find in something. Yeah. It, It could be drugs. Yeah. It could be a person. Yeah. Maybe it's surfing. Yeah. You've definitely got like the, the two voices in the song. You've got the cure speaking at the beginning, and then you've got the response to the cure talking about the pressures that they can't handle. However you take that to be, whatever the cure happens to be as, as you're listening to the song, there's definitely looking for a solution or looking for an escape from yeah. the problems in this song. Yeah. Interesting lyric. God is hiding in this teacup. Yeah. Want to hear what I'm thinking it's talking about? Have you heard of Bertrand Russell? Yes. He is, I want to say, a a 19th century atheist philosopher. He came up with this uh, argument that he used to discount the existence of God, referred to as Bertrand's teacup or Bertrand's cosmic teacup. The idea being that, that the burden of proof for outlandish claims that are difficult to prove lies not with the person who is trying to disprove it, but with the person who is trying to prove it. So from Bertrand Russell's point of view, it's difficult to prove the non-existence of a God who does not show himself in the universe. Right. So the burden of proof is upon those who assert his existence. And he gives the example of this teacup orbiting the sun. There could be a teacup orbiting the sun. It would be impossible for people at that point in time to disprove the fact that there's a teacup orbiting the sun. The burden of proof needs to be on the people asserting that there is a teacup orbiting the sun. Anyway, it's an interesting lyric. And I spent a little bit of time thinking about trying to figure out how does this fit into the song and and maybe what does it mean? And, you know, this could be another case of Darren just overthinking something that is probably quite obvious to some people and inserting his strange thoughts into it. Mm Mm-hmm. But I enjoy it, throwing in some obscure stuff into songs. Maybe this is a throwaway line or just an interesting turn of phrase or a concept just to stick into the song. Yeah, although to me it sounds kind of like a a drug trip. So, you know, that would further go with that. Is this the song that talks about the time warp? Yeah, Knife's Edge talks about the time warp as well. Mm. And that's just a, you know, oh, time warps, those are... Those are cool. Those are cool. I'll throw one of those kind of things in my song too. Interesting (laughs) image. You know, I don't think that's necessarily drug image, but it could be kind of trippy and druggy as well. And then there's this vocal bit. It's not a rant. It's just hard to decipher what Pete's singing. Yeah, we're kind of used to Pete going off and doing stuff that you just can't understand. But It's not words necessarily. Yeah, this time he's actually singing it, which is, I think, pretty unusual. But it's super unintelligible. And it's not on the lyric sheet. So we're left to our own devices to figure out what Pete's talking about in this already cryptic song. Even the internet doesn't seem to know. We know. Do we? No, we don't no, know. we don't know. I think the first line is really in your wheelhouse. I think it's, there'll be a Bible. That's why I think it is. Yep. And then the next part 
is like it might be waiting or yeah. saying or something. Saying. I was kind of think waiting at the bar, but I don't know why the Bible would be waiting at the bar. But maybe. Why is God in his teacup? That's true. That's already happened in this song. Now, I've got words for this next bit, and yeah. I'm sure they're not right. Well, I, at least I'm sure the first bit's not right. I'm a rag doll. Uh-huh. That's probably not it. But this might be it. Growing in my heart. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I've got nothing for that next bit. Yeah. My wife thinks this section ends with because, because, because. Uh-huh. But I think it's you're the only cure. Ah. Uh-huh. Which would fit in well with that the does, title of the song. That does fit. better guess than we do hit us up on the twitter or the facebook now musically yes this song is quite heavy sounding it's got like a very minor feel to it it almost is getting into kind of heavy metal i don't say it has all the trappings of heavy metal sure but it's got that it's got that heavy feel what other times are the oils actually as heavy as this now the production's laying it down a little i think and, Mm -hmm. and so on but as far as that real heavy kind of sound, it's uh, I can think of um, for sure Redneck Wonderland would yep. would get that heavy, but that's so much later. And then otherwise, uh, like maybe only the strong, but still doesn't have this. This has just the sustained heaviness. Yeah, and an aggressiveness about it as well. Yeah, and so um, yeah, my my daughter, who's a music major, talking to her about this song. She was saying that the intro is, she believes it's in B minor. Then it goes to an A major chord. Okay. The, the, so it goes to an A major, but the key doesn't change really because he's still singing the B, from the B minor scale. Okay. Because I think when it goes up to the high note, it should be, if he was, uh, should go have a G sharp, but he's still singing the G minor from a bit further, the G, the natural G. Yep. Uh, which makes it sound like it's in... So do you think that this musical dissonance is is what gives it maybe not the heavy metal sound, but definitely that that agitated sound to oh, the yeah. song? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and they just hold this chord for so long. Yeah, yeah it's wonderful. Just, yeah. <laughs> and, and the melody keeps just repeating over these songs, the, the emphasizing that he's singing a, a melody that doesn't really fit with this chord. Mm-hmm. Both of us really like, uh, there's this one point where one guitar is played, they're doing kind of a back and forth, yep. but then it's like one guitar plays and that's re- the other's response is just like the AC noise yes the the hum of the guitar somebody's amp is not grounded in this yeah yeah and that that's uh it's pretty neat oh yeah for sure and then the other guitar plays its bit again and then the response is silence yep And I really love there's a couple really cool deep dives with the with the tremolo bars there yep 
towards the end of the song, they do this neat, uh, they play around with the time a little bit. They emphasize um, notes in groups of three as opposed to groups of four. So you get these 12 uh, beats that are four groups of three. Instead of getting a one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four type thing, you get a one, two, three, 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 four. This is my top track. I like I'm the Cure the Best on this one. This has, the, I think, the only ridiculous rock and roll ending it, yeah. where the song ends, there's silence. And then somebody just hesitates for a moment. You just hear a little click as, yeah. as maybe somebody's pick just rests on the string. And then... So a great big thank you for joining us on the couch again tonight as we discuss bird noises. And we'd like to invite you to get in touch with us. Robin and I are both on the Twitter. I'm at Darren the Folds and Robin is at Robin Harbron. We've got show notes online at darrenfolds.com slash podcasts. You can subscribe to Comfortable Place on the Couch, a Midnight Oil podcast on iTunes and Google Play. And if you're so inclined, rating and reviewing the podcast is super helpful. Thanks again. And with that, it's time to retract the stylus, slide the vinyl back into its sleeve, and say goodnight until next time, when we'll be listening to the Oils 1982... 81, buddy. 1981's Place Without a Postcard on Comfortable Place on the Couch, a Midnight Oil podcast. For Robin Harbrin, I'm Darren Folds. Good night. Good night. pitched you know what and i didn't clip either oh i did clip you yeah. clipped i clipped did i clip you <laughs> blew it right through to the uh, other I microphone only clipped, i only clipped the left channel <laughs>